This is the scripture for this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I could speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but did not have love, I would be like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and understood all mysteries and possessed all knowledge, but did not have love, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even surrendered my body to the flames, I could boast about it. But if I did not love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, thought as a child, reasoned as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, even as I am fully known. So now faith, hope, love remains, these three. But the greatest of these is love. It is the greatest thing in the world. Now that's quite a statement, isn't it? To say something is the greatest thing in the world. And what the Apostle Paul is talking about is love. Love is the greatest thing in the world. This is what the scriptures teach. And I think that through human history and human experience, we find this proven true time and time again. We're going to look at over the next five weeks or so, I'm slowing things down because this is so incredibly good. This chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, is one of the great literary pieces of all human history, of all of the scripture. I'm sure we could argue that there's nothing that is more poetic, more powerful, more practical, more shredding. <laughs> I think it is so incredibly convicting. And yet when you get done, you are so incredibly encouraged and helped through this. So that's why I want for us as a church family to take our time just working through this and, and, and process how it applies to us personally and individually as a church and as we live in our families, our marriages, and in our communities in this world. The love of God. Overall, the theme of this letter, if you're joining us, we've been kind of going pretty much verse by verse through 1 Corinthians. 
can't even remember when we started this, but it's been a while. We've been going through this letter from Paul to his beloved friends in the city of Corinth, a Greek city. Um, it was in the middle of Greece where you have a lot of traffic of seafaring traders. And this new church started up. It's probably a lot like our church. And they, he loved these people. He'd spent a number of uh, months with him and teaching them, and then he was gone. Now they were having some challenges, and so he's helping them. And so we would say the theme of the entire letter is walk in wisdom. There's two kinds of wisdom. There is the wisdom of the age, the wisdom of the world. There's the wisdom that everybody else is finding. <laughs> and there's the wisdom of God that our Creator gives to us supernaturally. And that's the kind of wisdom we need to walk in. And I think we find that this is very... Uh, appropriate for our day and time with all the political challenges, the coronavirus, um, many of the things we've faced, to walk in wisdom. It's not an easy thing. And we're finding, though, when we come to this chapter, that walking in wisdom and walking in love go together. You can't really walk in wisdom and not walk in love. We read that in Ephesians, his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5 and verse 2. So if we look at 1 Corinthians 13 as uh, a whole unit, and it speaks about love. It has really two bookends. The first bookend is, is the beginning of this, which is actually in chapter 12 and the very last verse, verse 31. So this 1 Corinthians 13 starts in chapter 12, if that makes any sense uh, for you. And, and he, he says this, I want to show you a more excellent way. So the conversation is, we talked about God gives us superpowers as Christians. He gives you spiritual giftedness to be able to minister and encourage one another. And he talks about these. Well, they were having a problem um, amongst themselves over all of this. And, and he wants to get down to the heart and soul of this. So the first bookend is, I will show you a more excellent way. It's the way you do things. And then finally in verse 13 of chapter 13, the other book, and it says, So now faith, hope, and love remain. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So faith is what we believe. It's important, isn't it? Hope, <laughs> it's we can't live without hope and love. But he says, the greatest of these is love. And that's why I say it in that way, the greatest thing in the world is love. It is a bit uncomfortable for us when we talk about the heart, when we talk about love. It, it's sometimes difficult for us to get our minds around what he is saying. But that is what God cares about more than anything else. No one else can see your heart. But God knows your heart. And your heart is really who you are. That's who you are. Is your heart. In fact, even reading in the Old Testament, when they're looking for a king in Israel, this is what was said when people are looking at who would make a good king. And they said, this guy is really, he'd make a great king. And, and here's what the response is from the Lord, is man or mankind looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. That's a pretty convicting thing, isn't it? He sees right past all of it, 
There's nothing that we can hide from him. He sees our hearts. So it's a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> if, if I were to you know, think for, for 10 seconds, everybody in this room could know everything I'm thinking. That'd scare me. <laughs> I think I got I got to keep your thoughts under control. <laughs> or if we went more than ten minutes, like a whole day, and you knew everything I thought, I thought, oh man, I wouldn't have any friends <laughs> at the end of this day. But your greatest friend is God, and He knows everything, so you don't need to worry about that part of it. And He is for you. He is He is with you, and He is for you. That's why He gives us this instruction here in 1 Corinthians 13. So it's, it's the, the root, the source, the heart that he's going after. And it's a call to love. To love this way, I'll just say this, is impossible. You see, that in and of itself can get, could get really frustrating that God gives us an impossible command. Well, this, this book is full of impossible commands. And... To love like this, and you read through 1 Corinthians 13, we get into the second section that will begin next week. You're thinking, I can't do any of that consistently. I could do some of it <laughs> once in a while, but to live that way consistently is impossible. And it is. But that's why when, when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ inviting them in to be their personal Savior, we've talked about that many times, then God gives you the ability to do this. So God asks the impossible. It is made possible through Christ. When, when he gives you the strength, he gives you the help, uh, you'll not do it perfectly, but you can do it as you grow in your faith. And as I've said many times, the Christian life is not an easier life. It is a better life. And it is an eternal life. But it is not an easier life. Nothing greater in all the world, nothing can make a difference like love can. Of all the things that you might give yourself to, nothing can make a difference like love can. So in this chapter, it's, I, I've kind of broken it up, and if you grab a sheet, of paper that I have the, uh, the whole thing written out in three sections. So we're going to cover that in just one of those sections this morning. So this love, the greatest thing in the world, declared. Uh, first part is how he declares this is the greatest thing in the world. Secondly, in verses 4 to 7, it's he describes it. Um, he describes what this looks like. So if you love this way, here's what it looks like. That's when he gets into the section, love is patient, and it's kind, it's not jealous, so forth. And then finally, in verses 8 to 13, love developed. Love developed is how I go from being a new child of God, trusting in God, where I am, and God knows right this morning where you are and where you need to be, right? I mean, he knows where you are, he knows where you need to be, and it's a journey. So he's working that and developing you to be able to love like this. And it's a win, 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 win. God is pleased. I'm fulfilled. Everybody around me benefits from this. It is the greatest thing in the world. So this morning we're going to look at this, the first three verses. And I'm, 
this is a real profound outline, I realize. The text, the context, and the application. So um, I know that's not super creative, but um, it, to me, it's a bit, for me to think through it helps. This is what it says. This is what it means. This is how we apply it, uh, which I try to do each time. So I want to read these first three verses again and, uh, and then make a few comments. He starts on starts out three times. You'll see this. If I could. Sounds like the little engine, doesn't it? <laughs> if I could. So he says, if I could speak with tongues of men and of angels, but did not have love, I would be like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I had the gift of prophecy and understood all mysteries and possessed all knowledge and did not have love, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor, and even surrendered my body to the flames. I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So there's a, there's a lot in these three verses, but if you step back and look at it this way, he says this, if I could, if I had, and if I gave. If I could do anything but didn't have love, it'd be worth nothing. If I had everything in the world but didn't have love, it'd be worth nothing. And if I gave everything, including my, in, my whole life, surrendered to the flames, but if I didn't have love, it's worth nothing. You think about that. Now, in detail, and I don't want to dive down too much into the detail because it's, it, I want to get to the main, really, this is the main point. But he talks about the tongues of men and of angels, if I could speak other languages supernaturally, which was happening as the gospel was spreading, or of angels, a special prayer language that God would be pleased with, if I could do all of these things. So I think that we tend to measure our significance and our worth and our success by what we do or by what we have or by what we give away don't we I think most of the world will measure their value their worth and their success this way here's the sad thing most churches measure their success the same way, by what they do, by what they have, and what they give. Now, none of these are bad, okay? So what you do and what you have and what you give, none of that is bad. But if it's done without love, it is worth nothing. As they say, zero, zip, nada. That is a very sobering reality. I would say the majority of the people in this world and in the people in religious places today are evaluating themselves, evaluating the people around them and, and all of that this way. What they do, what they have, and what they give and not by love. Now, why is that? Why is that? 
Well, it's, it's a lot easier to count. So if someone says to a pastor, how's your church doing? Well, what do pastors want to tell people how they're doing? Well, how many people showed up Sunday? How much the offering was? How many people were baptized? How many missionaries you sent out? I mean, the most spiritual men of God sometimes that I talk to will tell me about all of the things they're doing and how many of this and that. It's easy to count, isn't it? How much we gave to missions last year or how many boxes we sent. <laughs> all that's good. But, but the real measurement, love, is a little harder to count, isn't it? <laughs> how do you count love? How, how, do you, how do you measure the worth or the value of that? So this is why it's important for us to dig down and see what he is, he is saying. So I think this, if I could, if I had, and if I gave, but ha did not have love, it would be worth nothing. So each one of these verses begins with if. If, if, if. There's a little book. You can pick this up on Amazon. It's written by Amy Carmichael, and she was a missionary to India in the 19th century. And it's along this line, if. So I'll make several quotes um, in time over the next few weeks from this book. But, I mean, one of those is, is she, she begins this. She says, if I have not compassion on my fellow servant, even as my Lord had pity on me, then I know nothing of Calvary love. In other words, if, if, I, if I cannot love a person the way God has loved me, I don't know anything of Calvary love. So the point that is being made by Paul here is there's nothing wrong with what you do, so I don't want to discourage any of you who are doing good deeds. I don't want to discourage any of you who have good things. And I don't want to discourage any one of you who are giving away to others, because all of that is good. But if it's without love, it is worth nothing. And I do think that there are going to be people that finish this life and come to that realization. They've got a list of accomplishments, they've got a heap of wealth, and they've given up away so many things, but this one part is missing. So let's move to the context in Corinth. Corinth was, you know, people had various gifts and abilities, and so you think about if you take a, a, a group of people like us at various gifts and we're, we're working together, but it kind of became a competition <laughs> uh, between what I do, what you do, what I have, what you have, what I gave, what you give. See how that can happen? We're starting to compare. And so when you begin to compare and compete, it creates conflict. And what, what was happening is a church that is supposed to have loving relationships is now having friction. And... This is what they're experiencing. But God has made and given various gifts to not compete, but complete. Remember we talked about how the Godhead, the Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit don't compete with each other. They complete. How husband and wife don't compete. See, the world will tell you, compete, compete. But it's complete. And then with the church is not to compete. We are also to complete. So the importance of love, and let me, let me just kind of, in the context of this, why is love so important? And, I, and I, I want to give you five reasons why love carries weight. The first of these is that love is the character of God. Love is the character of God. If I were to ask you, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of God? Most people are not going to say love. They're going to say, well, he's holy, he's eternal, he's just, he's a judge, he's, he's awesome. He answers prayer. <clears throat> Over the years, I have become convinced that at the centerpiece of all of God's attributes is his love. At the center, it's like at the heart of all of God's attributes is love. And that everything about his holiness, even his wrath and his justice and his eternality and all those other things we talk about, the greatness of God, complement the heart and soul of our Heavenly Father. I also believe that it is what is missed more than anything else when people talk about God. It's his love. I think that's what the world needs to hear. And I think we'll further develop this later on. But when we read in 1 John 4, 8, and, and Craig has been start, started preaching through 1 John, a simple statement, and this is your definition of love, God is love, period. <laughs> God is love. It's not just that he has love or he gives love or he shows love. God in his being is love. That is such an amazing thought because if we're all about God and love God and, and want to follow God and worship God, we need to understand that at the core, the essence of who he is, God is love. So that's why this is the greatest thing in the world. God is love. Secondly, it is the work of God. It's not just the character of God. It is his work for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This is what God does. It is his work. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrated his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that powerful? So not only is this God, his character, it is his work. It's what he does. God shows his love. And no greater way could a person show their love than laying down their life as Christ did, or a father giving his son. So the character of God, the work of God, and then Third, it is the command of God. How many of you like rules? 
Well, if you're a parent, you like rules <laughs> for your kids. You know, typically when I think of um, how do you live your life? Well, Ten Commandments. <laughs> and typically when people think about what does God want? He wants me to keep the rules. I want you to think about this. When asked this very question, Jesus will open up and give some insight into the Old Testament, what it really meant. It didn't change meaning when it went from Old Testament to New Testament. They just weren't seeing it. All of these people growing up thinking that God's about a bunch of rules. And so in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40, He's asked the question, what's the greatest command? We want to know, you know, the do's and don'ts, lists. We've got the Ten Commandments. And the Jews were so creative, and they really liked to make their own laws and rules. They had like 600 and some rules. I mean, you can't even walk without breaking something. And here's what Jesus said. You sum it up, all of the commands in this one, to love God. With all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. That's internal. And he says the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says on these two you can hang all of the law and the prophet. You know what I love about Jesus... <laughs> Of course, everything he says is profound. So simple. Here's one thing I want you to do. I want you to love me with all your heart. Just one thing. Here's, here's what happens. When you love God that way, you start keeping commandments, not even realizing it. <laughs> you think about all of the other commands in scripture are fulfilled when this is kept. If I really do love him, I'm going to love others. That's the second command. He simplifies it, but he, but he goes beyond, again, what we do, what we have, what we give, to what is the motive. And it is love. So the character of God, the work of God, the command of God, and then it is the ev evidence of completion, of full maturity. You know, we talk about when do you become an adult, whether it's uh, at your bar mitzvah at 13 or 18 or 21 or 30, or sometimes people never make it. <laughs> what, is, what is the evidence of a mature person? It's love. Now, this is exactly what the scriptures teach. This, is, this I take this from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. And I'm not, not going to read all that. But you go back in, into what Peter writes, 2 Peter chapter 1. And he says, it's kind of like a stair step of, of growth. You know, add to your faith. You, so you start off your Christian life, you have faith. And add to that virtue, and to virtue knowledge. And so you're, you're growing. And he, and he said, when you get to the fullness of maturity... The mark of a fully mature believer is love. That's love. 
So that's number four, the evidence of completion. Then finally, number, number five, um, the evidence of an authentic Christian life to the rest of the world. You know, I, I've said this many times, millennials are looking for authenticity. They're looking for relationships. And Jesus said this, how, how will they know you're a Christian? I'll tell you how they know I'm a Christian. I don't smoke, drink, chew, or go with girls that do. I don't dip snuff, don't dance, um, I don't do all those things, and I do go to church most Sundays, and I tithe, and I give, I, you know, you make a whole list of things like that. How do they know you're a Christian? It's by what you don't do, or by what you do? What he, what he says, it doesn't have anything to do with that. It's how well you love. Listen to this. this. This is John 13, 35. By this will all men know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is how they know you're my follower is by love. Now, folks, I don't think there's any way to get any clearer than that. So how is it, then, that we measure people's spirituality by what they do or don't do, but what, by what they have or don't have, by what they give or don't give. How is it that we measure all of these things by numbers and statistics and, and amounts rather than by 1 Corinthians 13? I mean, to me, it is so clear and so plain. I'll tell you why. It's because we would rather have a system we can control. It's a lot easier to live that way. So these are what I believe to me the powerful reasons for love. So this brings us to another question. I know you're going to ask me this. <laughs> what kind of love are you talking about? And this will be some kind of repetition for some of you that have listened to me because I'll, I'll get on a theme and repeat a lot of this if it's a great theme. What kind of love are we talking about? Because in the English language, we have one word for love, love. <laughs> and we, everything is love this, love that, from our favorite sports or sports team or favorite food or favorite event. We love this, love this, love my wife, love God, love the church, love my job. The Greeks had more detail. And so I'll do, I'll do this quickly so you don't get too bored with me. But there are four different words Greeks use. And so we're in Greek culture. We're in, we're in Corinth. They, they use three of these words all the time. One of them is new. And the one that is new is the one <laughs> that he's talking about. Okay? So the first love is a love of things, comforts, familiarity, pleasures. I love being home. <laughs> I love this old coat. I love this pair of shoes. I love being in this environment. Uh, I love Christmas time. I love Thanksgiving. I love the fall. It's what is familiar. The Greek word is storge, and it's very clearly used in, in not just scripture, but in all of Greek language of that time. The second word is phileo. Uh, we get that f uh, Philadelphia brotherly love, which is when, when people, one or, or two or more, have a common interest. 
Um, we have brotherly love, band of brothers. We use that term. Uh, we, we, we believe in the same things. We're interested in the same things. And so there's a kind of a unity that we have. And we have that here. Uh, we have commonality. Then there's eros, which typically is thought of as the physical relationship between a man and a woman. Uh, but, but in particular, it means one person with one person, a man and a woman, and you don't have two or three or four or five, you have two, <laughs> okay? And that's, that's a certain kind of love, and that is used to describe a husband-wife relationship. Of course, there are many perversions of what God intended in that, um, but that, that is another word. And the word we come to now that you're familiar with, but they weren't, is agape. Agape was new to them, and this is the word that he talks about when he says, I want you to, the greatest thing in the world is agape. Not the other three, it's agape. And there are three, I know I'm giving you lists of things here, distinctions about agape that are not true of the others. One, it is unconditional love. Now, when you stop and think about that, you say, that's impossible. <laughs> yeah. Without God, without Christ giving you the ability, it means that no, no matter what is affecting me, said to me, done to me, it does not change the fact that I will love unconditionally. It's not conditioned on anything you're doing or the situation. This is the kind of love that Christ loved us with, that God has loved us. And this is why I want you to see that he has done it this way. It's unconditional love. Secondly, it is sacrificial. It gives something without expecting a return. It makes sacrifice. It, it gives away. It, you know, a lot of times we give out of our abundance, even when we, we give at uh, special occasions and Christmas and gifts, we, we give what we can give. But agape love is giving beyond that. Christ gave his own life. God gave his only son. And so when you do this unconditionally and sacrificially, not expecting return, it will also reveal the third uh, characteristic it is it's initiated it's a decision love is a choice it is a decision it is an action that you make and it's, it's cause and effect it's the same way god took the initiative in sending his son to die for us and and so rather the, the difference is rather than me waiting um, for a certain set of circumstances, like the, the first kind of love, the fami familiar love, to, oh, if I just get back to my, my cabin or I get back to my, you know, go back home or back Christmas time or I just job change or circumstantial things make me feel that love. Or if it's phileo, as long as I'm getting along with the, the rest of the people playing in the sandbox, <laughs> you know what? It's good. Or with Eros, that I'm getting along with my spouse. But when you come to agape, it is really how I am responding 
that, that I am by choice, I'm taking the initiative, no matter what is happening, I'm loving unconditionally. It is not conditioned, and I'm making sacrifice to do that. Impossible. I told you Christian life is not easy. <laughs> it's not an easier way. It's an impossible way. But Christ makes that possible. And what it produces, let me just say this, is like no other religion. There is not a religion in the world that will function around agape. There are religions that will function around what they want you to do, to have or to give. They will function around rules. They'll, they'll, they'll function around merciful things and, and contributing to things, but they, they will not, in all of their activity, focus on this. And this is what makes this faith so different. And it should make it so incredibly attractive. What, what is the attractiveness about Valley Community Church? Let's all say it together. The preaching. <laughs> you know, it, it, uh, here's the way it should be. I'm going to work hard every week. To preach, Paul's gonna work hard in the music team to have good music, and all these other things that we do. But what should give people pause when they come to this place is these people really love each other. They really love each other. This is what it's saying. It'll be the same way for your home. With your kids. I'm not saying perfection, but I'm saying that this is, this is what stands out. More than, wow, they had a lot of people. Or, wow, that's the best band I've ever heard. Or, wow, that speaker was just really, really good. What he's saying is love is what makes a difference. So, finally... Just a few thoughts on application. It's not so much what, but why and how. The root, the heart, will produce the fruit. That's why God is concerned about you, who you are, how you're functioning, why you do what you do. He knows that. You know that. Sometimes you have a hard time figuring that out. But the why... The rest of the world will measure itself by these things that we looked at in the first three verses. But why do you do what you do? This is really what he's saying. Why do you do what you do? Why do you have what you have? And why do you give what you give? There are a lot of motives. In fact, I, I put these down. And since I have such a sinful heart <laughs> myself... Um, you know, this is really easy when you're preaching because I don't need to look for a bunch of a center to make the application. I just got to look in the mirror and I realize my own struggles. But I, I came up with nine motives that I, that I can have. Fear. 
I wouldn't admit that. Guys don't admit that. But sometimes we have fear of loss, loss of a job, loss of health. You feel that um, it's, a, it's more of a self-preservation mode. A lot of times we're motivated by fear, even though we may look confident on the outside. What about pride? Motivated by pride? Oh, yeah. Promoting self? What about being motivated by selfishness, indulging myself? Yeah, like every day. Motivated by anger. I said something or did something, but what drove that was anger. What about guilt? Either heaping guilt upon myself or trying to heap guilt on you, <laughs> but blaming, jealousy. You ever been jealous? Want something someone else has? Oh, no, no, I'm just daydreaming. <laughs> Or, this may be a little better, I'm motivated by a sense of duty. I'm motivated by a sense of responsibility. Or, I'm motivated by a sense of moral high ground. Oh, help me. <laughs> it's the right thing to do. You sound so spiritual. I've given you eight so far, and I'm sure there are more, of things that motivate us to the doing, having, and giving. The doing, having, and giving are not wrong, but if they're motivated by one of these that I've just mentioned, it's worth nothing. 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 Or do you do it because of love? Only love will produce good fruit. Only love, the motive, will please God. Only love will really convey to this world what God's like. Perfectly. There are many other things that you may think of. Yeah, God's, God's holy and God's powerful and God is this and that and but, but it's always in concert with his love. It's always in concert with his love. So what do you take from these three first, first three verses? If I were to ask you, what will it take for you? Because this is where I'm going. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about we. We have the you and the you all. <laughs> so we're talking. I'm talking to us as a group, and I'm talking to you. What will it take for you to succeed in your life. It's love. This is what he says. And, and I know that, like for me, when I read this, I think, I, I really stink <laughs> at living this way. It's very convicting for me to read through this. But it also helps me kind of recalibrate of what I'm shooting for. Does that make sense? What, what am I living for? What really matters? Of all the stuff I do, what really matters? It's good for us to have a gut check on that once in a while. So I ask you, are you succeeding in life in this way? 
And my prayer is as we walk through the rest of the verses that God will begin to shape this quality in you and in us. Father, thank you for your word and how it helps us so much. We see a lot of areas in our lives that we, we know we struggle with. And I pray that we would see that you're there to help us love like you loved us. Thank you for your commands that are good for us, for your example that shows us the way, and for your spirit that helps us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.